Welcome to Puro Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, and I'm joined by Metro Editor Greg Jefferson, Investigative Reporter Brian Chasnov, Colonist Editorial Board Member Kerry Clapp. And uh, early voting has begun for um, the May 24th uh, primary runoff in uh, Bear County. And uh, we got a couple of big ones. Uh, there are several races, but a couple of big ones that I, th- I think, uh, you know, demand attention. One is the county judge race on the Democratic side between uh, Peter Sakai and Ina Mihadis. And also, and this is pretty much affecting uh, Southeast side and s- some of downtown, the District 28 congressional race between incumbent Henry Quare and Jessica Cisneros, which is a, a big race that's getting a lot of attention. Um, and uh, on this podcast, we're going to talk uh, in a little bit about um, the horrific mass shooting that happened uh, at a Buffalo supermarket on Saturday, uh, which was an act of, of pure racist hatred, and it took the lives of 10 people and left three others injured. We're also going to talk uh, about uh, Governor Greg Abbott um, and a statement that he put out last Thursday, which uh, denounced the Biden administration for providing baby formula to migrant babies who are being held in U.S. custody um, at a time when we have uh, a shortage of baby formula in the United States. Um, but before we get to that, um, I want to invite our City Hall reporter, Megan Stringer, for joining us. Megan, thank you so much for being with us. Um, and you wrote uh, last week about there are a couple of been a couple of big developments on city council. One of them was city council last week approving um, a collective bargaining agreement with the San Antonio Police Officers Association. And uh, people who've lived here for a long time will know that these have been some really uh, fraught uh, bargaining sessions in the past. This one was relatively smooth, but there was some conflict on city council about it. It it ended up passing, but there was conflict about it. Could you talk a little bit... I guess before we get to some of the, the disagreements on the council, what are like the main provisions? It seemed like this time, uh, as opposed to the last round of negotiating, which was very much focused on the, the benefits packages that police officers were getting, this was much more focused on reform and, and reform in the way that the, the police department handles um, police misconduct. Yes, discipline really took center stage this time around, and um, this has been happening all over the country with this focus on disciplinary actions since the summer of 2020, of course, when George Floyd was murdered in Minneapolis. And um, a lot of activists have focused on police union contracts as sort of a a point to reform and um, have focused on the, the, the control that they say that these police unions have within their contracts to sort of, um, influence the disciplinary process in a way that sort of ties cities' hands or, or makes it more difficult for cities to discipline their own officers when they feel that's the case. And so San Antonio sort of, um, you know, not uniquely across the country, but decided to focus in on this issue in particular um, with the arbitrators. And, and so in the past contract, if the police chief had wanted to to discipline someone, um, that subject is... Um, is, is subject to an arbitrator. So, um, you know, people have used an example in the past of the, uh, the feces sandwich case, um, with an officer who, who would, um, you know, supposedly given this feces sandwich to a homeless man downtown. And, and that's a sort of gone through the arbitrator process at some point, you know, a couple years ago. And, um, and even city, city manager, Eric Walsh had said at the time, 
you know, that this shouldn't get to this point. It shouldn't get so far where we have this um, coming back up and this arbitrator sort of bringing this up and questioning the decision of whether or not the police chief was uh, correct in, in firing and terminating this officer. So, um, so, that, so that had been uh, a focus. And one of the things that they won in this new contract that the city won was um, just a more ultimate decision from the police chief. So the arbitrator has less of an ability to overturn disciplinary decisions from the police chief. So there was a big focus on that is, is one of the reforms that's won, um, among some other things as well. But that was kind of one of the key changes. When you look at, at um, the, the um, I guess, the disagreement on the council, and it, it looked like the you had three um, new council members, first-term council members, Mario Bravo, uh, Terry Castillo and Jayla McKee Rodriguez all voting against this. I, my sense is they they thought this didn't go far enough. And what what were they hoping for? And uh, there's a, there's a, a video that I've seen of um, another f- first term council member, uh, Phyllis Villagran, uh suggesting that voting against this was in effect defunding the police. And this this seemed to create a lot of a. Uh, there was a, a lot of tension over that statement. Um, I guess first, what, what, what was the what were the the three who voted against this? What did what did they feel uh, was insufficient about it? Yeah, so largely they were echoing the concerns of Act for SA, which is, uh, of course, local nonprofit here focused on police accountability that sort of sprung out of the Proposition B efforts um, from last year and. One of the key things that they focused in on is the fact that the new police union contract still oversees the um, the CARB, which is, is you know, it's nicknamed the CARB. It's essentially the civilian um, oversight board for police misconduct, and they discuss disciplinary actions. And you know, it's kind of half and half: seven uniformed officers and seven civilians. And uh, and right now, the police union contract. Um, kind of governs, uh, you know, dictates that that board, its makeup, and um, it's got some restrictions on it. And so what a lot of activists wanted to see that these three council members were echoing um, that they would have also liked to see is the removal of that oversight board from the police union contract so that the city can have a more independent civilian review board so that they could kind of create something new and and start from scratch a little bit. Um, There wouldn't be so much police say over that review board and, you know, how, how they can handle, how they can review discipline, which of course they mostly do in, uh, in closed session now. So that, that was a key point that they focused in on, um, you know, so, some other points as well, a little bit of discussion about um, officers can still use their vacation days on an unpaid um, suspension um, so that essentially the suspension becomes paid and, you know, some people are wanting to change that around, but the focus was, was primarily on the civilian review board. So, they were echoing those concerns. And, and of course, you're right that um, that moment when um, District 3 Councilwoman Phyllis Gran had mentioned, you know, I, I, I'm not sure how my colleagues are, are going to explain this as not being a vote to to defund, uh, of course, and using that sort of politically charged language there. Uh, there. There was just a lot of uproar over that. You know, you had people in the audience who were there with Act for SA, um, you know, vocally, vocally shouting and responding and, and walking out of the room at that point. And um, we're, we're really upset that there, there was this this word used, this, you know, this is a move to, to defund the police when you know, they don't see it that way. It's, it's about this CARB and the Civilian Review Board, which is, which is not, uh, you know, necessarily about taking resources away from the police or, or monetarily, but um, focusing on just the, the 
process for review and, and the independence of it. So, um, so, so there was a, you know, there was lots of uh, tension over that point in particular. Yes. Um, Megan, before we let you go, I, I wanted to uh, also talk about um, property taxes, and that's obviously a, a big concern for uh, for a lot of us in the, in the community. Um, the city has a five thousand dollar homestead exemption currently, and there's there's some talk about um, expanding that. What what are, are we what are we looking at as far as the um, the likelihood of a, of an increase in the homestead exemption? Yeah, so the city is looking at a 10% homestead exemption uh, across the board. Uh, that's out of the 20% that they're allowed to go up to. Um, now, you know, on council, there were some people who who talked early on about wanting to go all the way up to the 20% exemption allowed and just provide, you know, most of the relief that it that the city can that it's allowed to, um, especially because for a lot of lower income homeowners, um, you know, people who might have homes that are, are valued at one hundred thousand dollars or less, uh, you know, the ten percent won't make as, as much of a difference for them. It won't be as much relief. So there were some people who wanted to go all the way up to twenty percent. Um, mm-hmm. The city, you know, city manager Eric Walsh initially proposed. Uh, 10% last week, which is where we're at now. Uh, and, and his reasoning for not going all the way up being that they want to provide some more across the board relief to uh, commercial uh, property owners as well. And, and, you know, reducing the tax rate a little bit more is the way to do that rather than, than through a homestead exemption. Well, Megan, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And, uh, and we'll, we'll talk again with you soon. Take care. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. As I mentioned at the beginning on Thursday, Governor Greg Abbott uh, released a statement in which he blasted the Biden administration for providing baby formula to migrant uh, babies who are being held in U.S. custody. And this is happening at a time when we have a a shortage of baby formula in in our stores. Uh, In a tweet uh, that accompanied the statement, he also he he referred to the the feeding of these babies as, quote unquote, shameful. And uh, we want to talk about that. Uh, at first making the point because I, I, and uh, Carrie and I both wrote about this issue of the weekend. And I, I think we, you know, probably got some, some angry response, uh, on it, but you know, when I think one of the things that gets lost, and I think we both referred to this is the fact that this really isn't a Biden administration policy. This is U S law. There is a, there was a 1997, uh, uh, court agreement that knows the Flores settlement. It was a, a settlement to a class action suit and it mandated that children held in immigration detention be provided, quote, drinking water and food as appropriate. Um, so we can get into the, the moral issues and I, and I, and I'd like to do that, but before, you know, before anybody even considers this, the Biden administration is carrying out law and the Trump administration, while they were not happy about following the Florida se- settlement, they did so um, because it it is the law. So um, so I think we you know that needs to be considered. I think we really also need to look at what Abbott is advocating. If he's saying don't it's it's wrong to be providing baby formula to these children who are in custody and whose families have no other options right now, um, what is he advocating? So I, I, Brian, I want to start with you. I mean, when you uh, saw the statement from Governor Abbott, I mean, what? What was your response? What do you what do you make of, of the message that he's putting out there? Well, obviously, it's just political theater, especially when you consider, as you said, the the legal obligations of, that the Biden administration has to follow. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, it's just 
it's just sort of tailor made to to be divisive, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, he probably believes his base um, is animated by this notion that uh, limited resources are are being taken away from Americans by by people who aren't from here, um, whereas you know Democrats and progressives progressives would would tend to say that you know. Let's uh, let's treat everyone with uh, a shred of dignity, and and yeah. obviously, you know, yeah. care for care for small children, no matter where they're from. Um, I mean, and it, it, it definitely conjures the the horrors of of the Trump administration's uh, mm-hmm. uh, treatment of of children. Um, you, you know, with the separations, the, uh, and yeah, 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 the separations and and the 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 the, the detention. You know, and, and and this is really kind of just upping upping uh, the ante on on what we saw f- a few weeks ago. We had we there was a lot of discussion on Fox News uh, about this idea that uh, undocumented immigrants were being given smartphones, and you were hearing, well, you know, there are a lot of people in the United States who don't have smartphones, and they're, they're and of course these smartphones that they that were being provided uh, were had no apps at all. It wasn't like the you know. The, undocumented immigrants were being provided uh phones where they could you know go on social media or anything this was these were they had the only purpose they served was to be able to allow immigration officials to monitor them and their and their movements so it was it was in in lieu of uh of uh, ankle monitors they were being given these phones but it was turned into some so they're getting the worst of the Yeah, they're getting the worst of it. They're, so, they're getting it was, the worst of that. But it was being turned into this thing that that um, you know they're getting some advantage that uh, U.S. citizens are being denied. And I, that was, it, it's now just being taken to a new level. And I, I shouldn't have been stunned, but somehow the idea that now we're gonna we're gonna make an issue about feeding babies, it 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 kind of it really threw me. And Greg, I mean, what, what was your your take on this? I mean, I see this as political games gamesmanship. Uh, on Abbott's part of, of the worst kind. I mean, this is happened. I mean, the the background for that tweet is what's becoming a national crisis. Uh, you know, because of you know the Abbott. You know, the the baby formula. <laughs> they make a lot of stuff, including baby formula. Uh, you know, they had a Michigan plant shut down several months ago because you know they were you know it needed. There were problems in the plant. The FDA. FDA uh, basically closed it, creating this huge uh, supply problem. Uh, so you've got you've got parents like scouring uh, stores for baby formula. Pan- There's a sense of panic that's beginning to set in, and this is the moment at which uh, the governor steps in and decides, "Hey, this is something you know we can we can pit you know immigrants against those." you know, those parents who are getting desperate for formula, <laughs> even though, I mean, <clears throat> as you said, I mean, the, the federal government is obligated uh, to, to provide formula and other basic necessities for, for immigrants in, in detention centers. Uh, so it's just, it is, it's just a purely divisive play on his part. Yeah. Among the responses I got from people who were defending Abbott, um, you know, were statements saying, well, by criticizing him on this, I'm essentially um, advocating that 
uh, U.S. citizens uh, th- that that parents who are U.S. citizens uh, be unable to feed their babies, or that they that they starve. Um, which is, of course, nobody w- is is advocating that. But I think it's the fact that he's he's as you said he's turning it into every bit of baby formula that's given to a migrant baby is being is being that's your your baby is being deprived of that and he's he's turning it into that that kind of thing i think it, that i think that's a the mentality of a, of of it being a zero sum game right absolutely where absolutely. anything that's anything that 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 they have is something that any any gain on the other side is a is a loss for me Carrie, you know, I, I, I left your column on this and, uh, you know, I think that you were really were able to, to look at this and really look at the moral, the, the moral implications and what, and what it, what he's, what he's really conveying to people. Um, uh, and if you could just talk a little bit about what your, what you, your response was to, to what he said. Yeah, these are babies. <laughs> these are babies. These are children. You can't, you can't put out a statement Talk writing about how precious children are, although you put the qualifier in Texans to Texas children, but without without affirming that all children are precious, and yeah, you can get into interesting philosophical arguments about when you have that. First of all, things that you know, as Brown was talking about, that it's not necessarily a zero sum uh, issue, but you know, yeah, if, if you have this shortage, and how how do we work to Make sure that all of the, all the children, the children of immigrants, the children born in the United States, are able to get the baby formula. I mean, you work, you try to find a solution, but you don't demonize those those other babies. And if you know the last line of his of that of his statement read, "Our, our children deserve a president who puts their needs and survival first, not one who gives critical supplies to illegal immigrants before the very people he took an oath to serve." Look what he does there. Mm-hmm. Our children versus illegal immigrants, but those are children. Those are children too. Those are babies. It's not like we're giving we're giving yeah. baby formula to every adult who comes across the border. And he knows better than this. I, I know. Yeah, I, I think everyone knows. Right. Listen, I know I, I am not a fan of Greg Abbott, but he knows better than this, and he's actually better than this. Yeah, and again, you know, this is this is someone who often talked about the has often talked about the sanctity of human life. He uh, pushed for a, uh, a a new rule that would require in this state require that uh fetal tissue uh be disposed of by cremation or burial um and his spokesperson at the time said this is because he believes so strongly you know in the sanctity of of all life and uh i i don't know how you can you can make that statement and continually put that message out while saying you know that that doesn't apply in this case, and there's no alternative. There's no really, there are really only two options. They're in U.S. custody. They have. You're either going to have get the government feed them as they're legally required to do, or or let them starve. There there is no there's no third option here, and so it's it's a pretty stark choice. And I, it's it's amazing to me um, that he's that he's he's advocating for the, uh, you know, for uh, for them to be denied. That, that food, but I wanted to shift to the the Buffalo, the the horrible Buffalo shooting on Saturday, and I mean there there's a connection I think in the sense that um, Greg Abbott is certainly using a wedge issue and he's targeting people of color, and um, the the shooter in in Buffalo 
uh, who went to the top supermarket. Um, from what we know and from his, his manifesto, seemed to be somebody who has been poisoned with hate and, and has come to believe in the so-called great replacement theory, which puts out the idea that um, what Tucker Carlson on Fox News refers to as legacy Americans, in other words, uh, you know, white Americans, that they are being replaced. And it's a, it's a plot by Democrats to let people into the country who then will be, um, will vote the way they want them to. And Republicans will never be able to win an election uh, again. So this is, this is a theory that's been put out quite a bit. And um, the shooter uh, who targeted African-Americans in Buffalo is a believer of it. We saw, we've seen variations on this in 2017. We saw Charlottesville, the, uh, the march, the white nationalists marching with their tiki torches, chanting, uh, you know, Jews will not replace us. We saw in 2019 in El Paso, a shooter who went and, and opened fire for the purpose of killing Mexican Americans because he believed in the great replacement theory. And we've seen this again here. Um, Carrie, What's your reaction to to what happened? You know, for us, the similarities between El Paso and Buffalo are or or eerie, uh, so direct. But you know, every time there's a mass shooting, we have this this dance we do, and you can see it played out on on Twitter, where people who want more regulations on guns, they of course decry it and everything, and people who who are uh, or against any regulations, they offer their thoughts and prayers, and the other side says, "Well, your thoughts and prayers aren't doing this." So we go back and forth every time. What was unusual about Buffalo, and something that, frankly, I'm still stunned at, if it's it's been almost 48 hours since the shooting, mm-hmm. and Greg Abbott has yet to acknowledge it, right? Uh, Ted Cruz finally acknowledged it last night by retweeting somebody who noted that one of the victims was an officer, but but uh, the Chip Wars, the Dan Crenshaws, Kevin McCarthy's, Mitch McConnell's. I mean, there was not even an acknowledgement. John Cornyn, now granted, John Cornyn was was in Ukraine, but all of them had all of them tweeted about other things. That's the thing. They tweeted about other things, and Cruz is always just tweeting about everything. Going to the Eagles concerts. Which I yes, don't, right. hate them for. I love the Eagles, but they tweeted all of these things. That's right. But yeah. it was almost as if I don't know what's worse: if it was a conscious decision, a, a, a collective, concerted decision to not comment on Buffalo, or that they each came to the same conclusion that they weren't going to do it. But then you have you have Liz Cheney, who this morning she calls out specifically, she calls out the House GOP for enabling white nationalism. Enabling white supremacy. Now, to enable someone doesn't mean that you are a white nationalist or that you are a white supremacist or that you are racist. Mm-hmm. But you enable things when you remain silent when they yeah. carry out vicious crimes like this. And that's and, what and, surprises yeah. me about the shooting. So many said nothing. Well, the thing too, and this gets back to to, to Abbott in the sense that, you know, we haven't we have our, our governor hasn't really done what's necessary to fix the the grid in the state. Uh, we haven't we haven't adequately dealt with the, the shortcomings in public education in the state. We haven't we have the incredibly high rates of people who are uninsured when it comes to health insurance. And those are 
complex problems. Those are difficult problems. And it's much easier to get people stirred up about critical race theory. It's much easier to get people stirred up against transgender kids in school sports. It's much easier, uh, you know, just to uh, get people, you know, wound up about this issue about, uh, you know, regarding baby formula, um, this or, or Chick-fil-A or whatever it is. It's, we, we have um, political leaders and this is not unique to Texas, but it's particularly bad in Texas who don't have um, the will to deal with the complex, difficult problems. And they tend to default to stirring people up over phony issues or in some cases really, you know, poisoning their minds. And I think that this is what's, what's happened. And the great replacement theory, even if it hasn't been, the term hasn't been used by, uh, you know, by every Republican politician, there's, there's, it's something that has been alluded to by many of them and they don't know how to message their way out of this Buffalo, uh, you know, tragedy. They don't know how, they don't, they don't know, as you said, Carrie, I mean, I think that they're just more comfortable not even talking about it because it's, it, there's not really a message that they can, that they can find that doesn't sort of put them in a really awkward position. And you also have the fact of Tucker Carlson also. I mean, he embraced replacement theory uh, quite a while ago. And I mean, he's he is a he is one of the biggest power brokers on the far right in the country. And to, you know, to say anything that would seriously address kind of the absurdity of replacement theory. You know, I'm sure the concern is that's going to bring Tucker Carlson down on your head night after night yeah. until yeah. you relent. Uh, that's, you know, that's another huge issue. That's right. Well, Ted Cruz yep. had to apologize on Tucker Carlson's show for referring to some of the January 6th rioters as terrorists. He was basically groveling on his show yeah. because Tucker Carlson was was so mad at him about it. So, uh, Greg, I mean, you're absolutely right. They He he is the 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 great you know, espouser of, of, of the replacement theory. And there are very few people on the Republican side who really want to cross him at this point. Well, we're going to wrap things up. Um, hope everyone out there is doing well. We appreciate you listening. Um, get out and vote if you have a chance. And uh, we'll be back with you next week. Take care. Take care.